With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Podcast. This time I'm actually going to be by myself, but don't worry about Jakub, uh, he's going to be back with us next week. He has sent me over his winner predictions, so we will not be behind on these either. And yeah, I think without further ado, we should be getting into the action. Five events happened, five events to preview, there's also the draft big game that we're going to have to talk about. Um, when it comes to the qualifiers at Wimbledon, which I think actually I will start from. So Jakub beat me 40 to 38 in that. So as you can see, it's it was really, really close. Just two points, basically. I think this year, I won it at the French. We were tied at the Australian Open and he won it at Wimbledon. So we are basically, you know, dead square even um, right now. Uh, so the US Open will sort of decide, although, you know, we're not keeping count of this, I suppose. We are keeping count of the winner predictions, but this is maybe less important for us. Uh, but still, it would have been nice to win. I think um, just um, when it comes to the, the qualifiers, you know, how they performed at Wimbledon, um, the guys that I definitely, um, like, who did well for me were Barrios Vera, uh, he even took a set of Kofero in the second round. Stricker, he should have taken the opening set against Tiafo, but still, you know, he got he got the win, so it's cool. Mayo also took a one and took a set in the second round. And Michael Moe as well, beating Felix Ojalia seemed that was pretty huge for me, right? Uh, Shimabukura and Kwako were my zeros, the guy who the guys who didn't take a set. Uh, maybe with Kwako I was a little disappointed that uh, he couldn't keep it closer against JJ Wolf. And Jakub, it was actually pretty funny because his first two selections, so Arnaldi and Medjedovic, actually didn't win a match. And then uh, the guys who got him a lot of points were Oskar Ote, Maximilian Marterer, and Yosuke Watanuki. And especially Marterer was the key with uh, 16 points, so two matches won. Um, Marterer, uh, of course, eliminated Borna Goyo, which we were expecting, but then we, I guess both of us figured that he was probably going to lose to Ogier Yassim. And, uh, well, it wasn't Ojeda Yassim in the end. It was Michael Moe and Martere cleaned that up. Then couldn't take a set against Bublik, but still a fantastic effort from the from the German. Ote, I thought, could have gone even um, further, you know, for Jakub with uh, his loss to Galan in the second round. Vatanuki as well. Uh, he took a set of Zverev, I guess. Um, I was maybe expecting it to be even, more, even closer because the third and the fourth set weren't really, um, you know, that competitive anymore. But still, he, he, did, he did fine. Uh, he got closer to that top 100 and will be looking to break it in the in the next few weeks. And for Jakub, the, the picks that didn't give him any points were Mochizuki and Brower, which is also fair because they had some really tough opponents. Mochizuki, Tommy Paul, and, and Brower played Alexander Zverev, of course. Um, yeah, so I think without... Um, that That's where we're going to leave it, of course, by the time we are recording this, or I am recording this. Uh, it's Monday and the, the qualifiers are not in the Wimbledon main draw anymore. Uh, there was only Maximilian Marterer in the third round and uh, he lost to Alexander Public in straight sets. 
So yeah, with that, we can actually get to the Challenger Tour now. <laughs> and we had five events. Three of them were Challenger, were, 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 uh, sorry, were Challenger 75s. So maybe let's start with the European ones. That's, that's how I have it opened here. And in Karlsruhe, Alejandro Tabilo won the title over Giulio Zepieri in a very weird final where Zepieri had to retire just after nine games, but he actually won six of them. So um, it was pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, let's start with the champion, so Alejandro Tabilo. Um, we know that after the Golden Swing, where he wasn't able to defend all his points from 2022, he fell a lot down the rankings. But, you know, he's getting back up there. I mean, he's clearly getting back up there. And he won that Franca Villa Almare challenger in May, also was the finalist in Florianopolis, had an amazing run in Indian Wells, which you may remember. You know, he qualified and made the forefront. So this it isn't really coming out of nowhere. The only player to, like, push him on the way to the final was Landro Ridi. And uh, that was a... I think Tabilo was even down a break in the decider twice. So it was actually a very, very tight affair. And then Tabilo went on to play Giulio Zepieri in the final, where he was just completely outplayed in the opening set. And suddenly, in the very first point of the second, uh, Zepieri fell. And while he tried to continue, uh, he only really managed, like... Um, to win a, a point, I think, maybe even, in that game. Uh, but he just couldn't move properly anymore and had to retire. We'll see, you know, when Zapieri is going to be back. But but yeah, speaking of Tabilo, he is back to 145 in the rankings right now, which is certainly um, closer to his real abilities than the about 200 that he fell to after the um, Golden Swing this year. So uh, good stuff from him, and you know, over the course of the, or actually, he is even uh, higher. Sorry, one forty-five was the ranking that he had before, uh, of course, before um, Karlsruhe, because there are there, there is no update to the ATP rankings this week after Wimbledon, right? So um, yeah, there's a high chance that after after um, SW nineteen is done, he is actually going to be inside like the top one hundred and thirty potentially, because he's also playing San San Benedetto del Tronto next week so or this week because i'm recording on, on monday already and you're also going to hear it on like monday tuesday so yeah um definitely a very nice campaign for him so far because he after that amazing golden swing last year failed to live up live up to the hype and now in the second half of the year he actually has a lot of points that he could um yeah that he could just gain because he wasn't playing that much and he also wasn't winning that much so um, that's that's going to be an interesting part of the season for Tabiron. Maybe he can even produce a, a return to the top 100. It wouldn't be anything, um, you know, unheard of. Giulio Zepieri, who I was talking about, probably the deserved winner of this title, I would say. And I, I'm just saying that because he was really blasting through Tabilo in the first set, serving great. Um, you know, they're both lefties, but his was just a lot, had a lot more bite on it. And also, um, he was just so explosive with his footwork and, allow, and it allowed him to um, dominate the rallies with the forehand. It was a bit of a battle of lefty forehands, of course, with him and Tabilo, but Zepieri's was just a lot more impressive in that opening set, but eventually he couldn't get there, of course. Um, not because of his, um, well, you know, he didn't fail to do anything. He just slipped and had to retire. Hopefully he's going to be back in full flight in Braunschweig. He is in a bit of a race to break the top 100 right now, because if, as you probably remember from last year, he was actually a semi-finalist at the ATP 250 event in Umag. So he is dropping like 90 points soon, uh, which, you know, they're going to be pretty hard to defend. Like this sort of run, I don't know if he's going to do it again, but obviously the conditions suit him. 
Um, and yeah, when it comes to his ranking situation at the moment, he's like 65-ish points away from the top 100 when it comes to the live rankings. So it's going to be tough unless he has like a big result now in Braunschweig or yeah, defends that title in Umag, uh, sorry, the semifinal in Umag. It's not going to be easy. He is going to have to uh, maintain the results that he had in the in the first half of the year. Because when it comes to the race ranking, he's like basically on the verge of the top 100. So, so yeah, it, it, if he can't defend Umag, it will just require him to produce the same sort of results as in the first half of the year. And, you know, we've spoken about this many times, but he has improved so much this year after the 2022 campaign, which only really had a couple of good events for him. And, um, yeah. He beat Jean-Bord Piroz in the semis in a great match. He also came back from a set down against Benoit Paire. You know, he beat Ivan Gakov, Akira Santian. So as you can um, as you can hear, I mean, this was a very tough draw for Zapieri. Uh, just, just a nasty, nasty accident in the final. And speaking of Jean-Bord Piroz, he was the semi-finalist. I think he was about to break the top 100 if he won the title. He's also in a bit of a race because he's defending uh, the title in Tampere very soon. But, you know, this is, this has been an excellent season for Pirosh as well, constantly getting going deep in clay challengers. There's been lows, there's been, there's been moments when he again wasn't really healthy. But, yeah, the consistency of getting uh, big results in challengers has been there. And, yeah, it's just it's the second semifinal in a row as well for him after Ilkley. He also fell in the Wimbledon final qualifying round to Mochizuki, where, yeah, he struggled with physical issues. As I, as I said, I mean, this part of his career is still very much uh, in existence but here he scored a fantastic win over Thiago Sebov-Wilt in the in the quarters which was the, the big one this week you know Sebov-Wilt-Piroz what, what an enormous challenger quarterfinal I think and then of course lost to Zepieri uh, but didn't really do that much wrong there I think and also Timofey Skatov finally with a good run. Uh, we've talked about it a few times as well that Skatov had this amazing top 100 opportunity over the course of the spring. And I think he played, um, like his schedule focused on ATP events a bit too much. I cannot exactly blame him, you know, he is, like he was in a beautiful spot in the rankings. He is, of course, the former junior number one. The expectations he puts on, he puts on himself are really high. But yeah, I, ju- I just think he lost a lot of momentum this way. And for example, in June, he played that Lyon-Blois double and lost in the opening round at both to Terence Atmane and to Arthur Gea. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how, you know, the, the French junior. Um, and uh, then, yeah, in, in Karlsruhe, he scored a tremendous win over Sachko, which I don't even know how he pulled that off, but he was actually pretty aggressive with his forehand in the key moments, which can be an issue for him uh, most of the time, and was actually confidently outplayed by Alejandro Tabilo in the semis. But it, it's still something new for Skatov, because recently his results just haven't been that great, outside of qualifying for the French, of course. Uh, but that was done with a pretty crazy comeback over uh, Merigeni Alves, and he didn't come close to touching Grigor Dimitrov in the first round. So maybe he's going to be back on track uh, thanks to this round. Uh, yeah, and that, the doubles in Karlsruhe were won by Neil Oberleitner and Team St. Kaulen, and they beat uh, Kopriva and Pervolarakis in the final. So a pretty, a pretty surprising um, set of finalists, I would say, especially given that um, you know guys like Yebavi Verbeek were in the Verbeek were in the um, draw or Salut Ritarevich Manafov. 
But uh, yeah, these two pairs actually made made these upsets. Like Kopriva Pervolarakis beat Lutarevich Monafov and Oberleitner Sandkowlen eliminated Yebavi and Verbeek in the opening round. Um, so a nice win for the Austri- Austria uh, German. Oh, oh, oh. How do you how do you say it? Austrian German? Austria Austria? Yeah, I guess Austrian Austrian German pair. And uh, yeah, let's go over to Milan, which was the other challenger seventy five in Europe this week. And Facundo Diaz Acosta won that one over Matteo Gigante. Facundo Diaz Acosta, who, by the way, has probably broken the top 100. I'm not really sure about it just yet, because he is right now at 96. So five players would have to um, do better than him next week. And he is also playing in San Benedetto. So like he can actually be the deciding factor in... You know, allowing himself that top 100 debut, even if other results don't go as planned. But like the all the other players that could actually exceed them, you know, they would have to make finals, titles. But you know, ma- mathematically, it is still possible. So I can't exactly say that um, Diaz Acosta has already broken the top 100, but he is really close. And when it comes to the ATP race, he is actually in the top 80. So even if he doesn't do it here, there's a very high likelihood that. He's going to do it very soon. And yeah, the the consistency of his challenger results recently has been amazing. In the last six challengers he played, he won three of them and was in another final as well in Heilbronn. So that's that's incredible. Um, you know, no, no comment really regarding that, right? And the only set he lost this week was to Flavio Cobolli. He also beat the sort of resurgent Pablo Cuevas, coming off his best win so far in his comeback against Travaglia. And yeah, Mateo Gigante in the final, I think just, um, you know, Gigante can be a very tricky opponent. We even saw it in Wimbledon qualifying. But when he plays someone like Diaz Acosta, who I feel like is not overly reliant on attacking and, you know, can is definitely uh, fine with extending um, the exchanges and also just um, is also a lefty. That matchup was not that amazing for Gigante, and he kind of had to play out of his skin, had to try something new, had to step out of the comfort zone, and wasn't able to do it well enough, wasn't able to execute it well enough. So yeah, Diaz Acosta, very soon a top 100 player, very likely that it's going to be next week, but so far we cannot say it uh, because it's not mathematically certain yet. Uh, but as you as you guys probably know, he was one of my uh, top 100 picks for for this year, so I'm glad that he is doing just that. Um, whether he will be able to, you know, hold up on the main tour right now, I'm not so sure. But um, especially in like the Golden Swing, I, I would expect some pretty big results from him uh, next year. He had that amazing match against Camnori this year already in Buenos Aires. When it comes to Gigante, whom I already touched on a bit, um, he actually beat four Italians in a row to get to the final, so it would have been a fun story if he played the fifth one, but that's not what happened. It was actually um, Facundo Diaz Acosta, of course. He beat Passaro, Oradini, Nardi, Darderi. I know Darderi is uh, Argentinian, but playing for Italy, so let's say four players representing Italy. Um, That's who he beat. And um, yeah, I guess I guess a very good run uh, that maybe was influenced by that Wimbledon qualifying, where he scored an amazing win against Gabriel Diallo and then lost to Mayo, maybe in three sets. But he did play better than expected, so um, maybe the confidence here was really important. And he also saved the match point against Luca Nardi in the quarterfinals, which was probably one of the best matches of the week. Um, 
So yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the semi-finalists briefly as well. Luciano Darderi um, stopping a huge, huge, huge losing streak. He was actually in the final in Buenos Aires in April and then came back to Europe and he lost seven matches in a row. So this is quite huge, obviously. He scored um, a win over Christian Garin in the opening round where Garin did not look like he was ready just yet, so maybe not giving him a Wimbledon wildcard was also influenced by that. Uh, but certainly for, for that daddy, you know, he, he has taken um, like big steps into to, to coming back to form, right? Seven losses in a row, and he manages to get to the semis, which is pretty huge, and he was also close to beating Mateo Gigante. And the other semi-finalist, as I already mentioned, was Flavio Cobolli. I think he was my pick for the title I believe so uh, he um, yeah, yeah and he just lost to Facundo Diaz Acosta in the semis which you know is a fine loss 100% he took a set despite getting bageled in the opener he also beat Tirante who recently is starting to play much better even um, off altitude because you know the past couple of years uh, most of the time he was only succeeding in in these specific conditions whereas not right now he is definitely uh, more versatile when it comes to clay, at least. So, so that was a very nice um, scalp for Koboli as well. I think can't really be angry about this pick not working out. And um, when it comes to Milan doubles, uh, they were won by the top seeds, Jonathan Eiserik and Denis Morchanov. They beat Aribaja and Sanchez. So, seventy-five percent of the final lineup was French. And uh, let's get over to uh, Bloomfield Hills, which was the only other Challenger 75 um, this week. It was actually in the States, of course, in Michigan. New venue, new event, so we didn't really know how it was going to play. And it turns out that it was actually really, really fast and favoring flat hitting or like you know low bounces, which um, I think for both players in the final, it actually meant a great deal. <laughs> uh, Steve Johnson ended up claiming the title over Mikhail Kukushkin. Johnson was just 5-13 and 13 for the year, and while he did reach Cleveland quarterfinals in uh, February, still, like, it, was, it was an awful, awful campaign for the American. And he actually seemed kind of okay with it, in the sense that I didn't really feel the fire from him. I know it's very subjective, but I, I guess most of you would probably agree with that. Um, Johnson just seemed washed, you know, he just seemed like he doesn't really care anymore. And this week he was actually back to a very, very good level, especially in that uh, quarterfinal against Uchiyama, also the way he handled Kukushkin in the final. He was actually 6-4-5-3 up in the second set, and then Kukushkin came up with some fantastic aggressive returning to get back into the match. And then it was Johnson who had to pull off a comeback from 2-4 in the decider. He did just that, and he was... Uh, I think he had some incredible moments. Uh, the slice definitely liked these courts, you know, with just the way, just how low it was bouncing. But the forehand, the the footwork was a lot more explosive than than off late. So I think that that's a really amazing run for Johnson that no one really could have expected with how he was looking this year. And when it comes to the finalist Mikhail Kukushkin, this is actually his second final in a row after that Tyler clash with Moreno de Alboran. Again, a painful loss. So there could be something with Kukushkin, you know, about, um, yeah, just struggling to close out these titles, maybe feeling the pressure a bit, a bit more than he should. 
But of course, still an exceptional run, and when I say that the courts favor flat hitting, of course Kukushkin is going to be good on them. And it was actually the same in Tyler, right? Um, he beat Christian Harrison in a bit of a crazy match, then actually scored um, a couple of brilliant wins against Sandgren and Kudla. Interestingly, both of them he has like a phenomenal record against. I think he is 4-0 against Sandgren right now and 5-0 and against Kudla, so... Um, that that's actually something really um, interesting because you probably wouldn't feel that these players are so different to each other in terms of like their playing strength because they aren't really right. I mean, for some reason they just um, are not likely to succeed against Kukushkin, which kind of is somewhat surprising. You know, they they are hitting fairly flat too. They should be able to uh, to handle Kukushkin's uh, balls, but maybe they aren't. But yeah, a, a pretty painful loss in the final for Kukushkin, but still the past two events for him, even three, we can extend it to Little Rock as well, have been some of the best tennis that we've seen from Kukushkin in, in what feels like ages, really. I mean, in 2022, he had that um, stretch at the end of the year, I think, which was really good, right? Andrea final and something else, but otherwise, um, yeah, Kukushkin has been struggling for a while and this is definitely the best he's played in at least um, at least half a year. And the semi-finalists, I already mentioned one of them, Tennis Sandgren. Weird year, because one time he's like looking pretty amazing, like when he reached the semis in Cleveland, or even in Thailand at the beginning of the season. And then he's losing matches like to Garrett Jones, right? In, um, in the futures recently, he lost to Garrett Jones, winning just two games. Or actually, he played two ITF events this year, and both times he lost in the opening round. The other one, the other loss was to Lorenzo, Lorenzo Claveri. So I don't know. He he is having just a very weird season where one time he is basically performing at the top 100 level again, and then another time he is looking like he could barely win matches in ITF events. So I don't really get it. But of course, um, this run was more of the former. And he was eventually only stopped by Mikhail Kukushkin, but he did beat James Duckworth and Mitchell Kruger of the of the more impressive wins, I would say. And Tristan Schoolkate as well. Uh, I'm a little surprised with this run because it didn't feel like the courts would uh, benefit him that much. Uh, but maybe it was also a matter of the draw. You know, he he wasn't really running into any players who would be able to blow him off the court. I suppose maybe Ayeni in the qualies round one or like Jake Bilek in the second round, but. Um, yeah, I think maybe it was a bit of a matter of the throw uh, with his play style and Steve Johnson beat him pretty confidently. But of course, it's a very nice run for the Australian who um, is this year. I mean, he's finally playing a lot outside Aust- outside Australia. And before Bloomfield Hills, his results were not spectacular. But maybe he, he is starting to pick up more steam. And also, he has already won his first round match in Chicago Qualies. So, um, it was a pretty tough one as well against Sasi Kumar Mukund. And now he's going to play Christian Langmo. So, not an easy qualifying field there. But, of course, we'll get there in um, in some minutes. Uh, Santa Fe and Troy, uh, Trois. Um, Wendy will start with... Uh, let's start with Trois in France. Was the one of the two Challenger 50s that we had. Oh, sorry. I did not talk about the doubles champions in Bloomfield Hills, which were also... Um, Schoolgate and Walton beating Ellis and, Port- and Pattergill, so actually an all-Australian final. And um, yeah, Schoolgate had an amazing week, apparently, reaching the semis in singles and also winning the doubles title. 
And uh, we get over to Troyes, which I already hinted at, and Manuel Guinard won that one over Calvin Emery in an all-French final. As far as I remember, I think all of the four, yeah, all four semi-finalists were qualifiers. I have no clue when this happened last, but that's a pretty rare occurrence, of course. Uh, Manuel Guinard, uh, Calvin Emery. Let's let's talk about Guinard first. Um, he actually started the year inside the top 150. I checked it yesterday. And then was like in complete struggle town, as you guys might remember from our talk about Sekesh Pehervar. He was 0-7 and before that event. Then he finally got a win. And then he lost in the opening round of his next three events. So it was really tough for him. But he is he is starting to find some success. He started having like he had to play challenger qualifying for most events recently, but he made the quarters in Poznan, which I obviously watched live. And yeah, he's just looking so much better right now. He won Trois. He this is his second challenger title. He made it through the qualies. He only required two tie breaks in all matches outside of the semis, where he lost a set to Duya Dukovic. And I think in the final, he just had a very nice matchup with Emery, who also was struggling and like uh, running out of steam a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think Guinard with like his counter-punching skills and how easily he can turn defense into offense as well, just sort of find his opening after surviving a few powerful shots. He is probably a pretty tough matchup for Emery anyway, uh, regardless of the fatigue. However, um, before that, Emery was actually leading the head-to-head 2-1, and one, but the, these two wins came in 2016, so it's fair to say that it was like, such a long while ago, and um, I think everyone remembers that like Emery was the bigger prospect than Guinard back then, even though they are from the same birth year. Guinard's career only really sped up in the, in the last couple of years. And speaking of Calvin Emery, um, I think lots of people will be excited. Sorry. Um, um, lots of people will be excited to uh, see this run because he is just such a watchable player when he's on. Uh, lots of aggressive shot making, all court style. I, I personally um, really started enjoying his game when he reached the. What, what was the run in 2021? I think it was. Um, I think it was just the second round in Bucharest, but he played this incredible match against Tanasi Kokinakis. And um, yeah, it's just clear that he has so much more potential than his current ranking. He just isn't able to show it most of the year, you know, he, most of the year he is struggling for consistency. Uh, but maybe this is going to be something big for him. The last final he reached was actually in 2018 in Nanchang. Uh, I'm speaking of um, the Challenger Tour, not the Futures uh, Tour, not the ITF circuit. But uh, he only has one Challenger title to this day, which was Tampere 2017. Uh, he was uh, ranked almost in the top 100, like 116 is his career high back in the day. Can he return there? Unlikely, but I think it's very likely that he's going to have these few um, peak performances every year, you know, peak events every year. And that's, that's kind of what he did in Troyes. Um, just like Guinard, as I said, all four semifinalists were qualifiers. He had a couple of wilder matches, like playing Olivieri in the second round, or especially saving two match points against Horda Sanchez. But um, eventually, I think maybe that also contributed to his performance in the final being slightly subpar. And let's go over to the semifinalists, which were David Horda Sanchez. I just mentioned him. We, You might remember us talking about him when he played in Poznan, and like I was so surprised with how he basically just massages the ball, you know? He... He is 
very, very defensive. Um, and somehow this style is actually working. Like I, I remember watching him in Poznan. It was um, definitely a, a bit of a tough watch, especially when he didn't have an opponent that would pressure him. Uh, but of course he fares better against like all of these guys that have to try to do something to beat them, like Rincon did in the first round, like Magar did in the second round, and also Emery in the final in the semifinals. He was very close to getting to his first challenger final here, and just uh, didn't convert these two match points in the in the semifinal. And also Duja Dukovic, uh, someone we've been talking about a lot this year. He has picked up his game. Incredibly, I think, after the 2022 campaign was subpar and also the beginning of the year wasn't great for him even, losing in the opening round at uh, three consecutive ITFs. However, two of these were retirements. And yeah, just not getting that many wins, uh, having to spend some time off the court, presumably to heal up these injuries, and then coming back in style. You know, he was um, he even played some uh, UTR matches and won that event. And then uh, huge runs on the ITF tour, and finally there's also a deep, um, a deep run for him at the challenger level. He also qualified, as I said, he actually even lost a set in the opening round to Artus de la Bassetier. I remember last uh, last week I was about to pick Idukovic, but it kind of, you know, seeing that he lost a set to someone I didn't know uh, was a bit of a turnoff. Eventually, I also wouldn't have gotten a point, but I think it would have been a pretty satisfying um, story and like a pretty satisfying follow. Uh, the Idukovic campaign, he beat Benjamin Hassan, so a great win in the first round, and also Terence Atmane. And yeah, the the only the only flaw on his uh, re- result this week is obviously that Bagel third set against Ginard, but a, a fantastic run for Idukovic anyway. And um, when it comes to the doubles in Troyes, we had Manuel Guinard uh, claiming both the singles and the doubles title, and he's actually on fire with uh, Grégoire Jacques right now. They reached the final in Troisdorf, uh, so they uh, made um, they won the title in Lyon, and now they also won in Troyes. But they only had to play two matches to to win the title because the draw wasn't full. And uh, yeah, Lopez, San Martin, and Rincon withdrew. On, and by the way, I just realized that I did not talk about Kei Shikori when uh, speaking of Bloomfield Hills. Kei Shikori was obviously playing Dennis Kudla in the second round and lost. That was a bit of a shocker. Uh, but yeah, courts uh, being pretty quick and favoring flat hitting definitely helped the, the American there as well. Uh, Nishikori's response to it wasn't great, like he was rushing a lot, he was pressing. We'll see how he handles Chicago next week, but I don't think this really changes that much, you know. He is going to have weaker performances, he's still very early in the comeback, but I think his level was still good enough like for him to be in consideration, of course, for um, yeah, for the tournament winner predictions in Chicago and further, and also, yeah, just so excited to see how he does once he is back. Uh, at the main stages and whether he can still produce tennis that's um, you know something close to what he was doing a couple of years ago. Um, Palmas de Mar was a good sign. Bloomfield Hills, I think, is just you know an okay result. He lost to a good opponent, uh, so I think it's fine, really. And Santa Fe uh, was the last challenger this week, uh, challenger 50 in Argentina. And this is where Jakub got his point for Mariano Navone. So he actually um, is getting very, very close to me right now. My lead is now only one point. 
So I will have to be kind of focused on, you know, <laughs> getting getting some good predictions in because recently they just haven't been working out for me. But speaking of Mariano Navona, he's now at, the, at a 10-match uh, win streak at the challenger level with his title in Poznan, which, of course, I watched live. Phenomenal run. This one, he didn't drop a set in. And I think the, the key win, for sure, was against Comesania. 7-5, 7-5 in the semis. And why was it so key? You might remember that last year, Francisco Comesania uh, beat Mariano Navona uh, twice in like consecutive uh, Challenger 50 semi- uh, finals in Buenos Aires and Corrientes. And in general, that head-to-head from between Comesania and Navona stood at 6-0 to zero for the older of the two. And Navone finally got his first win on the board, so that must have been pretty huge for him. And yeah, in the final, he was just um, like I, th- I think the experience was really important, and like how he again turns defense into offense, how he is able to produce these incredible passes, like he did against Barrios Vera in Poznan as well. I think it was just really important, especially because the opponent was like kind of raw, and that kind of raw opponent that he beat in the final was of course Adolfo Daniel Vallejo. So the former junior number one, who um, was not doing well in his first challenger appearances at all. He was actually um, constantly losing in the opening round. I think it was five appearances to this day uh, where he lost in the first round of the main draw. And this year he only played the altitude swing in San Luis Potosi, Leon and Morelos, losing to Kipson, Walton and Atmane. But right now he finally got a good run at, at the challenger level. And like it wasn't even, you know, Finally, or like it wasn't a good run. It was actually a final already. So when he won his first match in the main draw, he managed to get to the final. Maybe not the toughest draw, but beating Roman Andres Buruchaga, especially in the semis, uh, was pretty huge. And you can see that there, there's quite a lot of potential with Vallejo, but yeah, like his, his game is still so raw that he couldn't really hit through Navone. He couldn't execute his patterns well enough. He couldn't um, you know, produce that, that game at a high enough level to beat someone who is already so solid and yeah, so much more experienced. But I am I am excited to see more uh, from the Paraguayan. Honestly, in the juniors, I did not really watch him all that much. So I still feel like I have a lot to learn when it comes to the 19-year-old. And um, he was also in an ITF final just before this, uh, losing to Londero, uh, who eventually ended up pulling out of the challenger. But... Um, it was also a very nice run for Vallejo, beating Katarina. And uh, when it comes to the semifinalists, we had Buruchaga, whom I already mentioned. He beat Boscardin Diaz, which was pretty cool. He also had a nice match against Mateus Alves. Um, but yeah, I guess this is just what we expect from Buruchaga by now. When he was in Europe recently, he made semis in Vicenza in um, quarterfinals in Prosteov. He also made semis earlier this year in Coquimbo. So another guy who recovered after a very bad start to the year because the first um, six events of the season, he only won one match um, against Navone, by the way, of all people. And uh, yeah, right now he has actually really recovered and is getting these semifinal quarterfinal runs at the challenger level at a very regular basis right now. And the other semifinalist, whom I also already mentioned, was Comesania. I guess pretty disappointing for him to lose to Navone with uh, him... Um, yeah, being 6-0 against him in the head-to-head. But you probably remember what Comesania was doing in Europe recently, and he is actually on a streak of four consecutive Challenger semifinals right now. So that's absolutely absurd and um, something that 
is really, really impressive. Um, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but Komesanya's game doesn't seem like it should be streaky, but it seems like the guy is really just that. Like, when he is in good form, he is capable of reaching these finals, semifinals all the time, but then he also has had plenty of uh, weaker patches. Maybe he has eliminated that, you know? Maybe maybe this is how he's going to play right now. Uh, but certainly Komesania and Navona succeeding at, at more or less the same time is also quite uh, quite nice because that's, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, they played the back-to-back Challenger 50 uh, finals last year. So they had quite a lot to defend in this in this part of the season too. And uh, yeah, I guess we also have to, oh, sorry, uh, doubles as well. Um, they were actually won by Vasil Kirkov and Matias Soto. We said last time that the doubles draw in Santa Fe was, yeah... I mean, a lot of buys, it also wasn't high level at all. Um, but at least they had to play three matches to get there. They beat uh, Alves and Ribeiro in the in the semis, uh, which uh, must have been a pretty good match, I think. And then eliminated uh, probably the best pairing there, so Ignacio Caru and Ignacio Monzon in the final, uh, who I think were probably like pretty big favorites. At least, at least for me, I I see that for the odds for the odds makers it wasn't really like that, but um, I think Karu and Monzon just had a lot more pedigree, right, than um, than Kirkov and Soto. Anyway, um, we get to the match and upset of the week. When it comes to match of the week, I think I'm gonna have to choose the 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 thing that was also voted on the for as the best challenger match of the week on the poll that I put out on Twitter. Uh, by the time you're listening to this episode, it's probably going to be over because there's 10 hours left on it and I'm recording this at noon. Maybe someone, uh, you know, if the guys at Cracked Rockets are pretty fast, maybe so maybe the you can actually still vote in the poll, but I doubt it. But anyway, the, the big winner there was, of course, Johnson Kukushkin. I think in a lot of these cases, when there's like a late submission um, to the poll when a final is amazing people just vote for it because that's probably what they watched instead of like a random round two and also recency bias so i think skatov sachko was a worthy rival for it but i also have to choose johnson kukushkin what do you really want from a challenger final you know two veterans going at each other pretty good level i think there were deeps but uh, the drama was also there for sure with some controversial line calls and in the no handshake even and they actually were still like bickering with each other after the final um so i think it was really interesting in that regard as well uh it doesn't maybe say much about the quality of the tennis but the quality of the tennis was there too and i think it was a lot of fun to see these two but these two veterans you know battle it out against each other so, um, when it comes to upset of the week, as usual, I have not chosen that. And this is where usually where Jakub comes in and like um, speaks about his upset. And at the same time, I am I'm looking at what happened. Um, yeah, so far I'm just glancing through the odds and seeing what the bookies had. Habib over Martinez was that big in Karlsruhe. Definitely was. Um, I don't know if it feels like my upset of the week, though. Kudla Nishikori... Could we go there? I mean, Kudla is just a little too good, right? For for this to be the upset of the week, I I suppose. Um, there's also like Horda Sanchez's wins, maybe something in Santa Fe as well. I don't really see it. Um, oh, Jimenez beating Ribeiro. Igor Jimenez beating beating Eduardo Ribeiro. Yeah, that that that's true. That that was pretty incredible. I honestly don't really know much about Igor Jimenez. <laughs> 
Um, he has been like barely playing the Challenger Tour, I would say. Um, in the past, well, in, over the course of his career, he's played like Challenger Qualies once in 2017, not making it through. Challenger Qualies in 2022, make, not making it through. Also this year, he had already played two Challenger Qualies and not made it through. And he actually qualified this time in Santa Fe and beat Eduardo Ribeiro, which um, it feels wrong for me to like pick this as my upset of the week because I just don't know the guy. But perhaps that's actually a good reason to pick it, right? So I, I am going to go with Jimenez over Ribeiro. Huge odds, and I think uh, probably rightfully so, given um, how much potential Ribeiro can show um, and how much he's been actually showing recently um, as well. Maybe not the most consistent player, but I would still say this is upset of the week worthy. And with that, we can get to the previews. We have five events, uh, two Challenger 125s, two Challenger 100s, four events in Europe, and only one Challenger 75 in uh, the United States. Um, as I said, Jakub sent me over his winner predictions, and also I mentioned that he... Uh, well, my lead has only been shortened to, like, one point right now. So I actually have to focus on this and, like, you know, come up with some good selections. We've got um, the two 125s. Of course, this is the second week of Wimbledon, so they are stacked. Everyone is back to playing on clay, it seems. And it's the Bravo Open in Braunschweig, which last year I visited. This year I cannot uh, cannot go there. Um, I'm not sure actually what will be my, my next event, but I will surely um, think of something very soon. But anyway, this, this week I'm staying at home. I will be watching the uh, Bravo Open in Braunschweig from afar. Um, but a great event, of course, anyway, just like Salzburg. So let's start with uh, Braunschweig out of these two 125s. Jan Denat Struff was the defending champion, but of course he's not playing it this year with, with his ranking uh, being so high right now. And the top seed is uh, Daniel Altmaier, uh, who got a wildcard for this. Interesting choice to feature in this out after Wimbledon, but I suppose he is he wants to use it as like a bit of a springboard for him into the rest of the post-Wimbledon clay swing, which does not sound like a bad idea. And yeah, he is actually playing Stad, Hamburg and Kitzbühel after Braunschweig, I just checked. Uh, so he is going to play Qualifier and then potentially Sels or Passaro. Pretty nice draw, I think. And Taro Daniel is his, is his likely quarterfinal opponent, but there's also Maximilian Marterer, who was in the final last year and was also, of course, in Wimbledon Round 3, which we mentioned at the very beginning. Uh, Marco Cecchinato is the third seed, and he also is playing a qualifier, but he can face Skatov in the second round. There's also Jaume Munar in the section as the seventh seed. He can play Andrea for Blancano in the second round, but also a qualifier. So we can already see that um, the qualifiers are playing high seeds here, and uh, I'm not sure that any qualifier will be a peak, uh, you know, because of that. Uh, Pedro Martinez is the eighth seed playing Travalia in this vintage opening round, which I am very excited for. Moleker Kovalik, also an interesting round one match. We're going to see if Moleker's form continues, because I don't think we've seen him since Poznan, right? Uh, Federico Coria is the fourth seed, kind of struggling recently. He's also playing a qualifier. And in the second round, he could play Sabov Wild or a qualifier. So again, the qualifiers have a very, very tough draw here. Altmaier, Daniel, Cecchinato, Skatov, Munar... Sabofield or Korea. I mean, all of these spots are just a nightmare, I think. And um, Pavel Kotov is playing Ugo Delien in the um, in the bottom quarter, and Alex Morton is the second seed playing Hoinski. 
a potential second draft opponent for them is Gakov. Um, so also also quite tough. And Topo Laksonen is an interesting first round match as well. Topo could go far here, I think, um, provided he can beat Pavel Kotov or Talian in the second round. Uh, but yeah, just briefly looking at the qualifying, probably no one that can really threaten here. Tabernet is playing this, but we know that this isn't really the best patch of his career. Daniel Masur, maybe. Um, he is going to play Hendrik Jebens, the double specialist who managed to eliminate Ramanathan in this form currently. Uh, that's maybe not that much of an achievement, honestly. Um, Yanaki Milev as well, I'm interested to see him. He was one of the guys who recently beat Dragos Nikolai Madaras in ITF finals, and he, he played an insane match there. Hassan Friberg is a very uh, high-quality final qualities round as well. So, yeah, who am I picking here? I think I have already... Um, yeah, I think I already have my selection. Uh, Jakub sent me over his pick, and it's actually Daniel Altmaier, so he's just going for the top seed, who's a wild card and, of course, a top 50 player, so I don't think he's he's doing anything... Well, top 50? Is he in the top 50? I don't think he's in the top 50, right? He's not a top 50 wild card, is he? Yeah, he's 60, 66 right now. Uh, he's not a top 50 wild card, he just chose to play it. Um, I mean, he, he, he wasn't on the entry list and, and just asked for a wild card because his decision uh, came a bit later. But anyway, um, he just went for Daniel Altmaier, who's the top seed here. I think it's a fine choice. Um, the draw looks pretty decent. Uh, Taro Daniel in the quarters, or Altmaier, that, or sorry, or Marterer, that's kind of tough. Um, the top half seems less stacked in general, so I, I understand that um, that selection. But I am going to go with Thiago Seibofwild again. I picked him in Karlsruhe. Uh, he lost to Jean Borpiros in three sets in the quarterfinals. But I think his level was good enough for, to like to a point where I can think that he can probably keep going. Like he can actually win another event here. Um, obviously, his form this year has been pretty spectacular. Playing a qualifier in the first round, I don't think that's dangerous. Federico Coria right now he has been kind of out of form, so I I really like Sabofield here as a as a selection as well. Um, Molchan, I'm not convinced by recently at all. Uh, but, you know, if he's if he's back to being healthy, which he was in Bratislava, but I think at Wimbledon he was probably doing a bit better. Uh, but, yeah, he is also a fine selection to me as well. Munar maybe even. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Sapofield. I'm just going to trust the upside of the Brazilian, and it would be a, a pretty incredible result for him to claim this title uh, in such a stacked field. Salzburg, uh, Thiago Monteiro is the defending champion, and we actually have Thiago Monteiro here. As you know by now, I mean, his results this year have been pretty tragic, so he needs this result. He needs the, he needs this run. He needs to defend this title. But the top seed is Roberto Carvajal's Baena, uh, Baena, who I think also played this one uh, last year and lost to Maximilian Neukrist in a, in a pretty wild uh, match. Uh, Nir Oberleitner or Witko Shiva are going to be his uh, second round opponents um, after he, uh, I mean, provided he beats a qualifier. There's also Filip Misolic in this section. Misolic should be dangerous in Salzburg, I think. I, I think he should really like the conditions. Uh, Gombos or Guinard um, are his second round opponents. Monteiro plays Krutek in the opening round, so that's kind of tough already, uh, I think. And then potentially Richard Tunheriti. Not an easy draw for, um, for Monteiro. And Facundo Bagnis, who uh, is playing the aforementioned Maximilian Neukrist. So maybe Neukrist has another uh, Salzburg upset left in him. Who knows? 
Yuri Rodionov is the sixth seed. He can play Puccinelli, De Almeida, or Fatic. Uh, Ofner plays Colarini. And then Denis Novak or Lukas Klein. So that's a very, very stacked... Um, well, not even a quarter, because uh, it's it, the, the top half of this quarter. So Rodionov, Puccinelli, De Almeida, Fatic maybe isn't that stacked, but Novak, Klein, Colarini, Ofner, that's that's pretty amazing. Juan Manuel Serundolo will face a qualifier in his first round and also potentially a qualifier in the second round. But the second seat is Juan Pablo Varias playing Federico Del Bonis in such an amazing... Uh, first on Clash, right? I mean, Delbonis, after winning the titles in South America, is he going to have um, you know, more confidence? Is he going to play at a better level also outside of altitude conditions? That's what we're going to have to see. Junkur Eliasimer, that's a pretty good one as well. Uh, by the way, Delbonis and Varias, I think they were both in Braunschweig last year, so interesting that they chose to play in Austria this time. And yeah, who are, who are we picking here? Oh, sorry, let's talk about the qualifying first. Um, have they not started it? I don't have results for it yet on um, on the PDF. Um, let me let me check check it quickly. I think they've already played one round yesterday, right? Um, yeah, they, they did. But uh, some of the players also had buys. And Justino and Andreozzi. Andreozzi will play Rola today, which is kind of interesting. Um, there was also like who could go deep here? I don't think Goyovchik is a factor on clay, and he's actually losing to Barena right now. Durasovic should qualify. He's playing Savvat. And of course, we've got Akira Santian as well. He's playing Vladislav Orlov. And, you know, recently Santian's form is just incredible. So um, potentially this could be a... F- I think he could be a threat in the main draw. Um, depending on the draw. Depending on who he gets. And here the qualifier spots are actually a bit better. But also there are some very tough ones. Misolic, Karpais, Bayana, Rodionov. It's just the, the Serundo section where the qualifiers uh, will have some um, chances, especially if the, you know, the, the two that are going to play each other. And Jakub is going with Monteiro here. So he is trusting Thiago Monteiro to um, just pick up his game. Kind of out of nowhere, it, it would be. But maybe it's possible. He took a set of Eubanks at Wimbledon. Of course, not really an event he was focused on, but I think that was interesting and like surprising for most people. Eubanks is, when I'm recording this at least, he is still in the event and soon he is going to play um, Stefan Tsitsipas in the um, forefront at Wimbledon. So he is still in the event, so maybe that even speaks... Um, um, I mean, maybe it bodes well for Monteiro's chances. But recently I was kind of disencouraged with Monteiro, when he, especially when he lost to Moise Kargui, right? Um yeah, just see, he just seems to be in a very dire spot right now. He really needs this title, but I'm not sure he's going to get it. I think my guess for this... Because I would like to say Rodionov, to be honest with you, uh, because I like his first two rounds. But then he could play Novak, Klein, Kularini, or Ofner, right? And that's not easy at all. Um, I think I'm going to say Rodionov anyway. Um, but I, I was also even thinking of like a hero call on Santian, but you know, that's probably not going to happen. Um, Varias del Bonis, that's so tough. Yeah, I just like the first two rounds for Rodionov, so I think that's what I'm going to go for. Why not Carbais Baena is the question, I guess. I'm not so sure. Um, the conditions are probably slightly faster than most usual clay courts, so maybe that's going to be an issue. I was thinking of Filip Misolic, but I think he, he was struggling a bit recently, and also, Gombos or Ginard, second round, that's not easy. So yeah, I'm going to go with Yuri Rodionov. Uh, would that mean that he breaks the top 100 if he claims the title? I think so, right? 
Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. If, if, if Rodionov indeed claims the title, then that would mean breaking the top 100. Uh, but we go over to Yassi, which is a challenger 100 in Romania, of course. Uh, Felipe Meligeni Alves was um, playing it last year, but he actually chose not to defend his title this time. I'm actually not sure what he's doing this week. Is he just not playing at all? Um, yeah, it seems like. Um, so he is going to be back in Amersfoort. So that's a pretty interesting choice from the Brazilian. Maybe he is like lightly injured or something because, yeah, it just seems to me like Yassi was such a good fit for him. He played Andujar in the final last year and, um, it, yeah, it just, it just really seemed like the, the courts were fast enough for him and um, it, it was actually a big factor in how he won the title. And we also have a wild card here and this wild card, I think, is, is actually... Uh, well, this wild card was recently in the top 50. Let me check if he's still... Um, yeah, no, he actually isn't. Bernabe Zapata Mirage is also not in the top 50 anymore. Um, so this also isn't the top 50 wildcard, but yeah, that's that's who we have here as the top seed, playing Aziz Dugas. He can play Dalibor Scina in the second round, which would be pretty huge. And there's more checks in this section, because Jakub Menchik and Zanek Kolas are on track to meet in the second round. They are both playing qualifiers first. Piroš plays at Mane. Then Lavagno or Bonadio. Bonadio recently struggling with some retirements as well, so I think maybe Lavagno will be there. But you know, is it is it really nicer for Pirosh? I don't know. Lavagno is is in such good form right now. Christian Garin plays Dragos Nikolae Madaras in a very exciting first round. By the way, for anyone who um, you know didn't uh, see it, missed the ITF results recently, Madaras actually got that ten fight ITF title that he was attempting. He is in the top 200 right now, so he cannot really play these events anymore. But he got it in, at a 25k in Brasov in Romania. He just completely dominated the field. Uh, from what I remember, I think he played Poliak, maybe Gima. Um, like, it wasn't the toughest field, but he just completely crushed them. So now there's the big question of whether he is going to be able to do it at the challenger level. My guess is actually no. And um, Christian Garin, you know, maybe he beats him. We'll see what version of Garin we, we get there. But I don't think Madaras can really win this title. I think the draw is a bit too strong. Um, Ugo Gaston against Milian Zekic. Um, Gaston is a sixth seed. So, you know, he's, he's the first seeded player in the bottom half. Thomas Mahaj plays Sachko in the opening round. That's incredible. Uh, I really want to watch this. Pablo Cuevas playing Gofier on Clan as well. That's the potential rival for Gaston or Zekic. There's also um, the second seed is Radu Albot, Juan Pablo F who plays Juan Pablo Fikovic, then Steven Diaz or a qualifier, and Enzo Quaco is the other seed, playing Philippe Christian Gianu in the first round, and he could actually like do a double Romanian duty playing Nicolas Davidione in the second round. Um, when it comes to uh, the qualifying, which we have here, uh, I also don't have the results yet in the PDF, but I'm, I am pretty sure that uh, they've already played one round and yeah by when I'm recording they're actually already playing the second round so we already have Kirian Jacquet through uh, we're probably gonna have Otegi through uh, but he's actually having a mid-game medical timeout uh, two points away from the win against uh, Vrbensky so that's quite exciting uh, Marty, Marty Puyoleras um yeah, probably only Jaque, I think, is a, is a real threat in this draw. That's, that's probably the only guy who could end up doing a lot of damage here. 
Um, I'm not really sure who, who I want to pick here. I know Jakub uh, went for Albot. I just don't know if I'll buy it on clay. I know his results on clay have improved, but I just feel like he will lose to someone. I feel like he will lose to someone who's like, you know, going deep and, and being in form. Uh, the tough thing about this draw is just the top quarter, which has Zapata Miralesh, Sutina, Menshik, Kolash. I mean, all of these guys could be winner picks. There's also P the Piroz Garin quarter. It's just really hard to pick out of this. Sachko Mahaj. Uh, I, I could be going for Mahaj here, but I don't want to when he plays Sachko in the first round. So I guess my pick is actually going to be Jombor Piroz. Um, not sure if the conditions are that good for him in Yasi. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you could really pick a lot of players here. And Piroz, um, recently just gets a lot of good results, like on a, on a very regular basis. He was good in Karlsruhe. Yeah, nothing scientific about it. Uh, I'm just going to pick Piroz. And of course, just like with Rodionov, uh, winning this title for Piroz would mean that he breaks the top 100. I think even making the final is would be likely to get him there because it's 650 yeah basically even making the final is is gonna get it would be um enough for pirosh maybe even a quarter sorry a semi uh how many points are there for a semi in a challenger 36 maybe i think so no maybe maybe that wouldn't be I, it, it would be close maybe it would be enough even even to make a semi for pirosh here like right now, he is just 14 points outside of the of the top 100 life. So, so yeah, big chance for the Hungarian here, and I'm gonna back him to do it. Uh, we are left with just two events: another Challenger 100 in Europe, which is San Benedetto. Last year, it was Raúl Brancaccio's first Challenger title, and of course, he is back to defend his title. Uh, Richard Gasquet, another another wild card here, uh, another top seeded wild card. I don't think Gasquet is in the top 50 anymore either, right? He is like on the verge of the top 50, I think, in the official rankings, right? 51. Yeah, so I don't think he, he had to get the wildcard. Like, I think he just, you know, uh, just like Altmaier and Zapata Mirales, he could have signed up, but just decided to do it late. And that's why, that I mean, that, that's why um, the organizers had to give him the wildcard if they wanted him there. And uh, Gasquet is going to play a qualifier and then po potentially Polmans or Nardi. Raul Brancaccio is the other seed in that section. As I said, the defending champion. He can play Koboli or Ferrari in the second round. So that's pretty tough. He is playing Hernan Casanova in the first um, in the first match. Tiago Agustin Tirante, the fourth seed, plays Peter Buldorini, a wildcard I have never heard of. But in the second round, he can, he can play Leandro Ridi. So... Um, let's prepare for this match. I mean, Tirante really, that would be huge. Kuzmanov Barrios Vera is already huge in the first round, and they can also play Gigante in the second round. So not easy. Tabilo plays Olivieri, and then Caruso or Berankis. There's Kimer Kopeyans playing Facundo Diaz Acosta, which is so huge, right? Diaz Acosta trying to like secure um, his top 100 debut mathematically, even though I think he will probably do it regardless. And Pellegrino plays a qualifier, but uh, I don't know. I mean, with Kopejans' uh, Wimbledon showing, right, which was so good, 
uh, considering his zero and eight record on grass this year. Maybe he's maybe that confidence is gonna just help him blast through the Yasa Costa. Who knows? And Per Maestrelli, uh, another really exciting opening round. Is it? Is it like the first time we're seeing Per Maestrelli this year? Or have they played? Because Per has played a few of these um, Italian guys. And okay, this is actually the first time he has played a few of these Italian guys. And I'm starting to confuse these matches. Uh, in the second round, Per Maestrelli will play a qualifier, and the second seed is Ramos Vignolas. Uh, whom yeah we have spoken a lot about recently and and how like even in challengers he wasn't looking that great uh, which is worrying and in the second round he could play Genesi or Tardelli so that's not really that easy at Wimbledon of course Ramos Vignolas lost to Hurkacz in three sets but on grass that was um, kind of the expected result 100% and when it comes to the qualifying um, here I actually have the results in the PDF Dimitri Popko uh, the the resurgent maybe not yet uh, maybe Okletpo could be some some fellow more dangerous Daniel Rincon as well he should probably qualify playing Luca Castagnola uh, but given the quality of the draw probably no one that is going to win it and Jakub is picking uh, Tabilo so I don't know if I like it you know he won Karlsruhe but it was like it's probably not going to help him all that much next week I suppose back to back weeks is usually tough. Um, Diaz Acosta I don't want to go for because again back to back weeks and also Kimer Kopejans in the opening round that's just nasty Kuzmanov Barrios Vera that's so good as well but do I really want to pick Richard Gasquet here I feel like Gasquet will probably flop to someone here I I, I don't really know who that will be but Gas Gasquet's season is, is, is really weird like he is rarely putting in a few good efforts in a row even that Auckland title that he won you know it was basically one decent match against Kofeu and otherwise uh, a choke from Nori and uh, yeah a couple of opponents that weren't really close to his level so I, I'm not really sh I'm not really sure if I buy him here like if, if Brancaccio plays or Koboli or Koboli maybe even Koboli if Koboli plays Gasquet in the quarters do I really think that Gasquet is the favorite probably not Tirante, Ridi, Kuzmanov, Barrios Vera, Gigante, that, that second quarter is so stacked. So I think I'm just going to go with Ramos Vignolas. Not a vote of confidence. Again, he has been struggling. He really needs the points right now. And he hasn't shown that he can get them. Uh, but he was decently competitive in Parma. He beat Verdasco and Fonio, lost to Zepieri, and also beat Gallo in Perugia, losing to Brancaccio in a pretty good match. Uh, took Vavrinka to five sets at the French. So maybe this is the event where Ramos Vignolas actually picks it up. That's what I'm going to bank on. He, by the way, won San Benedetto in 2015, which I didn't know um, until now. He never dropped a set in that event. And in 2010 and 2009, he was in the semifinals of this event. So historically very successful in San Benedetto del Toronto. But obviously this was ages ago. So um, yeah, let's see if this still holds up. And the last event, so the Challenger 75 is in, Chica is in Chicago and the, the the defending champion is actually Roman Safiulin, but he's not defending the title, obviously because he is in Wimbledon quarterfinals, which is, by the way, a, a crazy story, isn't it? And um, yeah, uh, Roman Safiulin, of course, is not coming from London. Uh, he has to play, I think, on Tuesday, his quarterfinal, right? So yeah, he clearly, clearly wouldn't be able to fit in uh, Chicago in his schedule. But he's not going to regret it. You know, he, he is going to get at least 360 points for the Wimbledon quarterfinals. Uh, James Duckworth is the top seed, uh, playing Yuta Shimizu. 
Uh, they can play Abdallah, Abdallah Shellbike in the second round. Steve Johnson, the champion from uh, last week in uh, Bloomfield Hills, is the eighth seed and he's playing Nishal Pasavaredi. So one of these, um, actually, I'm not sure if it's his college accelerator or junior. Uh, no, I think it's the junior because for ju- for the junior accelerator, I think Basavaredi has a qualify uh, has a qualifying uh, has o- qualifying opportunities, and here he actually has. Yeah, it's it's based on the junior rankings um, here for him, and he is going to play Johnson, so a very very tough one. Emilio Gomez against Yasutaka Uchiyama. Great match to start of the tournament, I think. And one of them will play Mark Layal. And this second quarter quarter of the draw is actually really strong with Sandgren, Pechi, Pericard and Spitziri, the college number one, playing Adam Walton. Altuk Cherik Bilek is the fifth seed. He really needs some results soon because I think he is dropping Porto um, in a while. And he can play a qualifier or, and then in the second round, Ethan Quinn, so the NCAA champion or the, or a qualifier. Quinn, by the way, recently, um, announced that he is actually turning pro. He, uh, will be dropping out of college. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how he does. I think last week he lost to Sasi Kumar Mukund, didn't he? So, uh, maybe not the best loss. And another crazy, crazy opening round match is Kukushkin against Shang. And they can play Sweeney in the second um, encounter. And Kei Nishikori is also here with a wild card, playing the sixth seed, Alexis Galarno. Probably in the second round, one of them will play Skander Mansuri or James McCabe. And there's also a very nice couple of uh, matches at the bottom, um, at the very bottom of the draw, I think. Alex Michelson playing Lee Tu and Baby Zhukayev playing Alexander Kovacevic. And Jakub gave me a bit of a comment when it comes to his pick here. Um, where he said that if Michelson and Kovacevic weren't each other's round two opponents, he probably would have gone with one of them. Uh, instead of that, he went with Kei Nishikori. And, oh, actually the qualifying I haven't talked about, but, uh, you know, is, is there anyone that can actually win it? Um, Bernard Tomic beat Michael Zheng, which was a pretty impressive result, I think, um, given the talent of the young American. Uh, Martin Dam um, playing Ernesto Escobedo in the final qualities round. That, that's a huge matchup, I think, uh, for a final qualities round. There's Yun Seong Chung, um, Tyson Kwiatkowski, um, Ilya Marchenko playing Kenan Kingsley. Kingsley, I think, is here with a college accelerator for the qualities. Omar Jasika, the top seed, I don't think he can really win this event, but he could win a few matches. But yeah, the, the draw is really strong for a 75. That's probably because it's the only challenger in, in that region right now. Um, so yeah, I, I actually have to be uh, like, I have to pick just like Jakob the Kei Shikori here. I feel like anytime he's going to play these challengers right now, we're just going to keep picking him because it just feels stupid not to. He is so much better than most of the players in this draw, right? It's just a matter of like getting there and staying healthy. Um, I'm not really sure if Michelson or Kovacevic would have been on my, on my radar, um, for Michelson, maybe, but, you know, Kovacevic playing Zhukayev in the opening round, I think that's already really tough. And after the grass season and the clay season were just so unsuccessful for uh, Kova, I think I, I would like to give him, like, one event, you know, to ease himself back into into form, I would say. Um, I, I, I will have to see, like, one deep run from him before I before I trust him again, before I just trust that his confidence is back to where it should be, right? I think that makes sense. So, yeah, Nishikori, despite playing Galarno in the opening round, I, I think he has to be the pick here. And 
Um, I'm not saying I would be surprised if he doesn't win the title, but I just I just think it would be unwise to pick against Nishikori. He is just obviously uh, an absolute legend and um, such a talented player that I think eventually he will be back to main tour level at least, and and we'll see what else what else he can do um, at this stage of his career where he's still like what 30, 33 ish, yeah, thirty three, uh, about to turn thirty four in December. So probably still has like a, a year or two at least of high quality tennis ahead of him if he can stay healthy. And it does seem like, um, well, it, it, it does seem like um, Nishikori has um, returned at a very um, smart moment. Like he, he, he never really rushed his re- return, it seems. Uh, it seems like he waited until he knew he could uh, get back to, to the tour. And this is going to be it for this week. Um, as I said, we are definitely going to be back next week with Jakub. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the events of, um, oh Jesus, five of them and I'm blanking. San Benedetto, Yassi, Chicago, uh, Salzburg and Braunschweig. So um, see you guys there. And as usual, thank you for listening. Um, it's been It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in seven days. Bye.